Hi, everyone. Tim Garrigan with our genius episodes here at GLG. Here's a question for you. Do you love stargazing? Do you love fireworks? Do you love a great show? Then you must see the Perseids Media Shower happening right now. And I'm going to show you how to see them tonight and all this week. So come on. Let's go to the big island of Hawaii. And up at around 13,000 plus feet above sea level is the Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope. And I want to welcome Mary Beth Lechak, who must have one of the most unique and interesting occupations on the planet. Hi, Mary Beth. Thanks for being on Genius. Hi. It's so nice to have uh, be on here and great to talk to you about the Perseids. Well, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's an exciting thing. And before we start talking about the Perseids, I want to ask you what it's like to work at an extinct volcano two miles up. I have one of, like you mentioned, one of the coolest jobs. So I'm the director of strategic communications at the Canada France Hawaii Telescope. And I like to describe my job as explaining astronomy to people. So I take the work that's done at CFHT and explain it to kids, to grown-ups, to anybody who's interested in space. The summit of Mauna Kea, where my facility is located, is a, just shy of 14,000 feet. And as you mentioned, it's we're actually a dormant volcano. There is some lava pools that are underneath it, deep inside the mountain. It is the highest mountain on Earth, if you actually measure from the base of the ocean floor. It's taller than Everest from its base, but we just count mountains from sea level, so we're at 14. And it looks like the moon. It's one of the most beautiful places. There's all these little cinder cones. In Hawaii, we call them pu'u. When we think of volcanoes, we often think of like the massive Mount St. Helens type eruption. Um, the ones that we have had on Mauna Kea are much smaller. It's a little, little cinder cone that forms. Um, you may have seen this in some of the footage from the 2018 um, Kilauea eruption. And so there's no plant life at the summit, and that's in part due to its high elevation. And um, it's actually a permafrost area of the, um, if we look at like climates and ecosystems. You're above most of the Earth's atmosphere. You're at about 60% atmosphere. So you always kind of feel a little little drunk, like maybe you've had a little, I like to say it's that like second glass of wine when dinner hasn't gotten there yet. Um, and it's a very unique situation to work in. Most of my job is actually not at the summit, but I love it when I have the opportunity to go up there, do tours, or, um, you know, basically show the telescope in the mountain off to, to people. That's amazing. So when you go to work, you're actually driving up to 14,000 feet. So how long does it take you to get there? So most of my work is done in our Waimea offices where I drive a mile. Um, but when I do go to the summit, it takes about 45 minutes to get from our base in Waimea to the 9,000 foot level at Hale Puaku. There's an astronomer's residence and you need to acclimatize. When you're going that fast, there are very few places on earth where you go from sea level to 14,000 feet in two hours. So you need to stop and acclimatize. Um, I usually wait about a half an hour, an hour if I'm with um, visitors who've not gone to the summit. And then I actually switch vehicles. So if you're going to the summit, you need a four-wheel drive vehicle. Um, we have a fleet of them, CFHT, and all of the facilities do. And um, 
The reason for that is that the road is unpaved, but also it's very steep. And with the low oxygen, your brakes actually heat up faster. So you need to go as low gear as you can, four wheel drive. Oh, and then it's about another, you know, 15 minutes to a half an hour, um, depending on how many people are going up the access road. If they're grading the road, the Mauna Kea Support Services actually has these, the only snowplow in the state of Hawaii and this large grader that um, makes sure that the road is passable for um, everybody driving up. Fascinating. Okay, let's talk meteor showers. I first saw the Perseids on the side of Mount Rainier many years ago. It was, I didn't know what to expect. And it was a nonstop show all evening. And this week we're in prime time for viewing them, uh, aren't we? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, this is a great thing. It is. The Perseids are one of the, the best and most famous meteor showers of the year. Um, when people think about meteor showers, we often think of the Perseids in August and the Geminids in December. Um, the Perseids are nice because it's summertime in the Northern Hemisphere. And so you can go outside, relax, look up at the sky and, and be pretty, pretty comfortable temperature wise. What are, what are they? Uh, what, what causes the Perseids? So um, we can talk about comets and asteroids. So an asteroid is a rock in space. A meteor is that same space rock entering the Earth's atmosphere. And a meteorite is once that rock hits the Earth. So our space rocks are entirely defined by their location. A comet is a giant dirty snowball in space. So the way that this links to the Perseids is every July and August, the Earth passes through the orbit of Comet Swift-Tuttle. So this is a, a what we call a super long period comet. We saw it in 1992. We will see it again. I had to write the date down because it's so far away. July in 2126. So this comet goes really far out. It has a really stretched out elongated orbit. But the debris, the rocks, are still in that path. And the Earth, our path goes this way, the comet's path goes this way. We intersect that debris field every um, July and August. And those meteors that we see in the sky with the Perseids are the rocks that used to be part of Comet Swift-Tuttle. Amazing. So how many might we see in an hour? So the estimates that I've seen for this year, and it varies a little bit every year, is 40 to 50 per hour. One of the kind of downsides to this year's meteor shower is the first, I mean, the peak days. So August 11th, 12th, and 13th, we have a fairly bright moon the second half of the night. And so when the moon is bright, it makes it difficult to see some of the fainter meteors. That doesn't mean you should go look. You shouldn't look. You should absolutely go look. One of the coolest things, one of my favorite things about meteor showers is they're not just one or two days. When we think of the Perseids, we think of the three days that are the peak. But unlike many events in astronomy, you get a second, a third, a fourth chance. You know, when we're trying to look at a solar eclipse, it's time down to the, you know, the moment of totality might be a five minute window in a 200 mile corridor on the earth. A meteor shower, anyone can see it 
at night. Um, they usually are best after midnight because the constellation that it seems as though the Perseids are coming from, they're in our solar system. These little rocks are right there, but they look like they're coming from an area of the sky, um, uh, the Perseus, the constellation Perseus. We will see them for 10 days after the peak, wow. and we've been actually seeing them for 10 days um, probably before the peak as well. So you've got lots of chances if it's rainy um, or cloudy the next couple of nights. Just keep looking. So we've got basically a good week here where we get to get to see them. Is there a direction we ought to be looking? So oftentimes people will tell you to look in the direction of Perseus, which is the, the constellation that they seem to radiate from. Again, those stars in Perseus are super far away. They have nothing to do with the meteor shower. And it tends to be in the north. So if you see the, the, const, uh, the asterism, it's a little star cluster called the Pleiades or the Seven Sisters or Subaru in Japanese. In Hawaii, we, it's called the Makali'i. Um, if you see the, uh, the, the Pleiades, Perseus is just above that. My advice is don't get bogged down in trying to find the constellation. Find a dark space, lay back, look a little bit towards the north, and just let your eyes get dark adapted. It usually takes about 20, 25 minutes, depending on where you live. I live in a fairly rural area. I can go outside and there aren't, aren't many lights. If you live in um, a big city, you're probably only going to get to see the brightest of the um, meteors. If you have the opportunity to go to a darker place, let's say a park or a little, little outside of town, it's definitely worth it. If you can't, you'll still get to see some pretty interesting, pretty, pretty good show. That's great. So we, we need some, we need, if we're in the city, we need to find a little darker space. We need to get out of, out of town a little bit. Are you um, providing like a live cam or something if we can't get out of town or we don't want to be up in the middle of the night? Is there a place for us to watch this? So Every single night, 365 days a year, the telescope that I work at, the Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope, and all of the Mauna Kea observatories, there are several telescopes, 12 facilities, 13 telescopes to be precise on the summit of Mauna Kea, we all have webcams. And every night, these webcams are looking in different directions um, of the sky and also along the horizon. We use them to figure out when clouds are coming, what's the weather like, but these websites are publicly available. So ours is um, www.cfht.hawaii.edu. I'll also say you can follow CFHT on social media. We're at CFH Telescope on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we generally, when we get a really good live view, um, we'll share it the next day. The awesome. Mauna Kea Weather Center, and Tim, I'll give you the link for that. It's, a, it's an unwieldy link to try to give live. That weather center has um, webcams from all of the observatories that are looking and covering all sides of the, um, of the mountain, looking in all directions. And it's not only a cool thing to see during uh, the meteor showers, but also just on a nightly basis, the weather's constantly changing. It's the only place in Hawaii where it snows. So you can check those webcams out in the, in the winter, although it does sometimes snow in the, in the summer or the spring, and see snow in Hawaii. That's awesome. So we'll put the links after this interview and for the blog, we'll put the links in that you just suggested so folks get to look at it. And then, like you said, once quarantine's over and all that, 
and we're on the big island, we can come up and see you? You can visit the summit of Mauna Kea, yes. I will say please, please, please do not do it without a four-wheel drive vehicle. And because of the extreme altitude, you need to be really careful. We don't allow anyone um, inside our facilities who are under 16. I highly discourage taking kids up there. They just don't respond to the altitude in the same way. You need to drink lots and lots of water. Most facilities are not open for um, public tours on a regular basis. Once quarantine is ended, there are a couple of telescopes. The Keck Observatory, for example, they have a viewing space that allows you to actually open a door. It's a visitor's gallery and see one of the telescopes only during the daytime. Um, and a couple other facilities do offer public tours. Mine, unfortunately, all of our tours, well, fortunately, all of our tours are um, for educational institutions, local students, um, and Hawaii residents. So if you visit, post-quarantine, please drink lots of water, have a four-wheel drive vehicle, and don't take your baby to the summit. Right on. Mary Beth Lechak has one of the coolest jobs and works in one of the coolest places on the planet. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, for getting us smart about where you work, but also about the Perseids. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk. Mahalo. Mahalo.